Madcap Flare offers cutting-edge technical authoring and publishing capabilities for today's technical writers and content developers with advanced features to maximize authoring efficiency, content reuse, and multi-channel publishing. By combining Madcap Central's cloud-based collaboration, publishing, and content management functionality, authors can improve content quality, gain greater insight into tasks and production schedules, work collaboratively with teams, host content, and automate processes. Madcap Flare and Madcap Central, combining the power of desktop authoring with cloud-based collaboration, publishing, and content management. Learn more at www.madcapsoftware.com. This is the Cherryleaf Podcast. Matthew, do you want to say who you are and what you do? And we'll start, I'll get off my squeaky chair and we'll start from there. Okay. Uh, hello, Ellis. Um, my name is Matthew Ellison. What do I do? Well, I do. Uh, uh, I enjoy doing quite a lot of different things. I guess that's what I like about my job these days. I train people, primarily technical authors, and usually it's training people to write some form of software user assistance, generally user assistance for software, though um, some of the tools I teach could be used for for any type of uh, documentation. But I don't just train. I also get involved in in usually small projects, usually fairly short projects, helping people to set up and use style sheets and templates, uh, create some workflows. They're just starting out with a new tool. Um, they just want a bit of infrastructure to help them get going. Or they want ideas on how to organize things and that kind of thing. Uh, and that's that's where I usually get involved for up, up to a week. Uh, and then what's nice is I can just walk away and let them worry about creating the actual the actual content. So from my point of view, I, I'm involved in the in the bits that I'm interested in, uh, and then I move on to looking at someone else's problems, which is which is great fun. And I should say, we used to work together in the dim and distant past at Digitext. We did indeed. It's becoming increasingly dim and distant now, isn't it? Uh, I, I think I left Digitext in 2001, so over over 17 years ago, which is rather frightening. So you also, up until last year, it was last year, wasn't it, uh, mm. ran a conference, the UA. Uh, Europe conference. I did. Well, that, that conference, in fact, dates back to the days when we used to work together at Digitext. Yeah. Uh, it was started in uh, 1997, I think, originally as the European Online Help Conference and then ran every year in, until um, the the company ended up being taken over by Joe Walensky in the yeah. States. And then, and then, and then I think I, I took it back in... 2006 so it ran it ran it for between 2006 and 2017 so did 12 of those which which just flashed by i can't believe i did 12 (laughs) now but but i think that the last conference we did last year in harrogate was the 21st in total since the since the inaugural one in 1997 which which we were both participating in so what comes after UA Europe, I did I did see a post by you or a tweet suggesting that it might it might go on the road and and be one day events or something like yes. that. Yes, well, we in fact we've got a a one day event planned right now. I'm doing 
an event with a couple of other guys, a couple of other consultants, Thomas Bro Rasmussen mm-hmm. of, uh, of Denmark and Scott Deloach, who's based in the yeah. US. We're doing a one day in Denmark in December. Uh, it's a, a CSS masterclass. Uh, and that's the kind of thing I see myself getting involved in in the future is just one-off things rather than the sort of, you know, the relentless yearly event, which frankly, you know, it does take its toll that there is a certain amount of stress in organizing a fairly large event with lots of people booking hotels, never quite knowing, you know, what the program's going to be and whether people are going to be interested and when they whether they're going to come along. So I decided I could, I, you know, at my stage of life, I could do slightly less stress, stressful <laughs> summers and um, turn my attention to, to other types of work, doing a little bit more consulting and training perhaps, uh, and, and then doing uh, one-off events as they come along, events that seem to be interesting and that I think, yeah, could, could be addressing a need within the community. There is a sort of a, a rough objective for this podcast and that is to mm. well make people aware of what Cholief is as a company and the, sure. the area we deal with but the other aspect is to provide information to make people better technical communicators right you've been around involved in this sector for a good while mm. so it would be good to chat about what changes have you seen over this time that have have been significant Although technology changes and trends come and go, come in and out of fashion, I think fundamentally what we do is is very much the same. It hasn't changed at all. In fact, I've been involved in helping the ISTC, as I think you have, been involved in helping the ISTC to publish a book on the presentation of technical communication, which was originally written in 1948. Sorry? Reginald Cap. Reginald Cap, indeed. Brilliant guy who I think involved in the in the formation of the original society that became the ISTC. Writes in a, in a very clear, lucid way about how engineers and technologists should be communicating their information better. And um, when I when I read that and and I had to comment on on one of the one of the chapters in particular, so much of it rang true of, of what we teach authors today. So I think the underlying principles have remained exactly the same. It's all about communicating a message, taking information from one mind, often the, the mind of engineers and, 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 and specialists, and turning it into something that can be well understood by sort of normal people, that the people who have to use the, the technology, use the software and, and, and do do jobs with it. Uh, That's what we're still doing. The the tools have evolved. I mean, I've used a number of different tools over the years. It's it's 25 years or so that I've been writing online help. Some of the tools have have that I used originally, for example, HDK was the was the first tool I used, an Australian product that that disappeared. I think in the uh, what was it late nineties, but others have re- remained around. RoboHelp still around. Must be um, at least twenty five years old now. Uh, Doctor Help is still around in in name, owned now by Madcap Software. To me, I'm actually very surprised at how similar those tools are in essence to what they were twenty five years ago. They're basically allowing us to, to create content, apply styles, and then organize that content into a hierarchy. 
and they add search to it. The technology behind the layout is a little different. We now have, it's all browser-based and the latest layouts are totally frameless, which helps with search engine optimization. But we still essentially have a navigator, a table of contents, um, some topics which we move around, we can search and we can link it to our software. That fundamentally is what a help file is, is today. What I think is perhaps more interesting is the changes in the actual software products themselves. Products, of, of course, now have to be used on a wide range of platforms. And uh, and with the influence of mobile applications, I think there's been a definite drive towards products became, becoming simpler, more intuitive, perhaps less reliant on, on um, a separate help system. And there's been an opportunity for technical communicators to get involved in contributing to the actual user interface itself rather than just writing a separate help system. I do see that 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 a change in our roles is 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 it broadening out to not just writing books and manuals and help systems but also contributing content micro content if you like that could be used as as tips or even within bots or or in various parts of the application that we wouldn't associate with traditional help. There's a fundamental premise that we we work on or assumption is that people will still get stuck. Um, and as long as people are getting stuck using products, we we have a business because the other assumption is that there's a skill needed to yeah. explain how to get out of those those problems that isn't necessarily something that anybody in an organisation is a, able to do. I think you're right. I think we're, we're very lucky. We're in a good business. We're a bit like hairdressers. People are always going to need to get a haircut. That's not going to go away. And I, and I think you're absolutely right. The, the, there's, user interface designers are never going to get, come up with the perfect product that people don't need help with. So we're always going to be required to explain things, to mm. provide background information, to, to help people understand concepts, to help people get out of problems. That's never going to go away. And, and that's what we do. So we've sort of gone into, I guess, briefly a, a situation or discussing the current state of the tools. Um, RoboAlp's in a very interesting um, sort of state of flux at the moment. It's an Adobe product. And ro- what's happened with RoboAlp is they've absolutely rewritten the product yes. completely from scratch for the new release, for the mm. 2019 release which is, I think the naming's a little premature, but yes, RoboHelp 2019 is effectively a brand new product. I'm about to review it actually for the Communicator Journal. I haven't yet fully familiarized myself with it, but I've seen enough to see that it's, you know, it's pretty exciting because it is effectively a new product. It's not using any of the underlying code from the old one. You know, I think that's great because when you start from sort of clean code base, you can get rid of all the all the accumulated baggage and you can you can focus on sort of modern day objectives and make it do things that we need it to do these days very well. But it also means they've got to catch up a bit with the old product. I mean, the old robot product had accumulated sort of 25 years worth of functionality and there's no way they're going to be able to include that in the in the new release straight away so it's going to be interesting to see how that product evolves Um, Mm. adobe are promising quite rapid development of it so that even though 
if you look at it today, you might actually find that it doesn't do everything that the previous version of RoboHelp did, which may seem like a step backwards. They are promising that over the next few months, they're going to be adding functionality on a regular basis. And, you know, you'd expect that it would get back to matching all, all the features that the previous mm. product had. But it's a bit of a bit of an unknown at the moment. It's going to be interesting to see the reaction of the people who are very established users of the old product and whether they're prepared to, to make the jump to something quite new. I guess the pros with Adobe is the integration with, with FrameMaker. The pros with its primary competitor, Flare, is the opportunity to have cloud-based authoring and the promise of API-based documentation to do that micro content you mentioned with with a yeah. uh, few releases as well it's great there's competition it gives technical authors the, the choice between good tools so uh, i don't think it's a case of one good one bad it being great that they're good tools out there yeah absolutely you mentioned cloud-based authoring and that that's certainly a a trend uh, i mean not only sort of generally in in software you know software as a service it's beginning to creep into the help authoring world as well. Yeah. We're, we're seeing tools like ClickHelp, which is yeah. entirely cloud-based, a, a very interesting Russian product, and, and also Poligo, yes. which is entirely cloud-based, a structured structured authoring tool that's very much being pitched as a, as a competitor to Flare at the moment. You'll find mm. if you Google Madcap Flare, You'll get. You'll see an advert about Poligo, and I, I suppose they're they're after people who are looking to go a little bit beyond what Flare can do in terms of content management through a slightly more structured authoring approach. Their um, schema is based loosely on DocBook. Yes, so that's um, an interesting product. Cloud based is coming into uh, the Madcap products as well. We now have Madcap Central. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a sort of cloud-based source control system, as well as con- doing being able to do all your builds, the builds of your output using mm-hmm. Central on the cloud instead of taking up your own processing power on your computer. And, and, review. Uh, and review, yes, that's the new thing. In Flare 2018, they've included a review cycle that allows you to push content out of Flare to Central up onto the cloud, uh, and then reviewers can log into central they'd have a they'd have a special login id that would give them permission only to review content not to build or publish but just to review they'd review that using their browser um, using a, a very very simple lightweight editor uh, and then they'd feed that reviewed content back to you into flare and you can accept or re- or reject any changes made. Uh, and I think that's a nice idea because it means that reviewers don't have any have to have any special software installed on their computers. And you can involve people sort of, you know, from throughout the world. As long as they've as long as they've got a browser, they can access your content. My only beef with the cloud-based ones is the pricing seems to be a bit more than I would expect them to be. Um, yeah. You know, they've got they've got to run a business. They've got to do their costings to justify the development time that, that's in there. But they, I look at the pricing, the monthly rates, and it always seems a little bit higher than uh, I would hope. 
but maybe that's com- you know comparing wow. it to Microsoft yeah. or Amazon, who have a scale infinitely larger than a, a little specialist tool. Um, but they are. I mean, it's it's a very interesting and exciting trend, um, and one that I suspect all of the the vendors will will go towards. Oh, undoubtedly. Um, I, I, on the pricing, I think the pricing depends somewhat on whether it's based on the number of authors or the number of users of the content. Are there are any aspects or capabilities that you wish, or people you're that are going on the courses say they wish that they did that they don't do. Today? Do you know there are always always ideas that people have when they come on training? I I, I sometimes write them down. Um, I don't always, and, and then it annoys me because I forget them, and they're great ideas. But one uh, thing that I've been after for years and is beginning to come, I think, is is better search, more flexible search. Mm-hmm. The search traditionally over the last sort of 20 years or so has been a very limited full text search that will just provide exact matches within your content with with what the user has typed in what what we're of course all used to as consumers is a much more flexible search the kind of search provided by google on the web and bing where it doesn't matter if you don't type exactly the right thing because google will know what you mean and will say i'm sure you meant this and and that is beginning to come now with uh, certain help tools and I think is going to develop further, I hope anyway. Uh, And the other thing is faceted search, the Mm -hmm. ability to uh, actually filter the search results. There are products like, for example, Fluid Topics, which is a way of putting together a sort of front end for your documentation that includes very powerful faceted search and the ability to filter and also pull together personalized documentation sets that I I think is interesting. That reminds me, the other thing I'm hoping for and expecting is the ability to to personalize content, to make it, to actually base the content on who the user is. Uh, And I suppose this is something that will become more possible as as things move into the cloud uh, and we enable our content to be protected uh, and available only through login and that by logging in, our users are de- declaring who they are, uh, and, uh, on which we can then base the fact that oh, they they only need information on this particular part of the product, or or they don't need to see advanced information, and we can start imposing filters automatically on the kind of content that we present to them. This is sort of the area that Mark Baker's been talking about with his um, SPFE and um, the idea of, I guess, in some ways, having content in forms, and you do a query for your information and the page is built based on the queries that you mm. ask for. Mm. You say, give me this in filtered version of the information. One area that we get involved with is writing policies and procedures. And you see it very much, often it's written for the auditors when managers will have one uh, set of interests, staff in one office will have another, staff in a different office will have another, um, auditors will have theirs and management and we often these things are done as pdfs or word where it's it's this one single view and everyone's having to interpret the sure. content yes. to those um and, and having it online with filtered navigation and faceted navigation means that you can make it more relevant to that audience yes i would add, I would add to that list the ability to export to markdown so you can get developers involved in creating or editing content and also um, better 
ability to publish the content so that it can go into the user interface and into mobile devices. Um, and I think we're starting to see the opportunities for that. Oh, and another one, what you used to get with author it was the ability, you could drop a topic into another topic to embed it that way. Uh -huh. um, you can do that with snippets in some of these tools, but I just love the way yeah. that you embed a topic and see it there and you and then have that one chunk of content in lots of different situations in single source in that way, a very visual way of doing it. I know what you mean. Yes, you shouldn't really need to, diff when you create a piece of content, you shouldn't need to decide at that point whether it's going to be a topic or a snippet. In a sense, mm. there's no difference. They're both objects or chunks of information. And yeah, it's almost a publishing decision, isn't it, as to whether mm. that gets, uh, whether that becomes a topic in its own right or, or a building block for another topic. Yeah, I, I think that kind of flexibility would certainly be good. Um, you mentioned Mark Baker, and I can. Um, I've just started reading his his latest book, which I yeah. which I'll recommend. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, he's a he's a he's a great writer. I, I I admire his writing a lot. He's he's very good at expressing very complex ideas and thoughts in extremely clear way. Uh, I find his writing uh, a pleasure to read. It's an interesting read. Uh, I've only read the early chapters so far, and in a sense, it's restating stuff that I knew, and in a sense, is obvious, but in a way that I think is a very useful building block in his argument towards some of the things he's going to be saying later about structured writing. And, and I do think structured writing is important for, for all the reasons we've been saying, that in order to be able to reuse content for, for different people, different purposes, and, and to be able to extract and filter out the right information, then we have to, to make sure that our, our content is extremely richly marked up in a very meaningful way, a semantic way. And often the best way to do that is using structured techniques and making sure that information is consistent and well-labeled. So his book's called, I've just done a search, it's Structured Writing, Rhetoric and Process. By and Bert Process, Hilton. that's right, yeah. I did interview Mark at your conference at yeah. Harrogate last year, and it was yeah. on episode two of our podcast, I think. We've been doing some testing and headless CMS, headless content management systems, and, and um, there may be a future podcast talking about that with somebody. That model that Mark's talking about fits very well with the concept of, of um, headless CMSs. He, he may well be on the button in terms of predicting the future. I think so. As a consultant and as a trainer, obviously one of the things you need to be is at least one page ahead of the people that you're training and providing consultancy for. So how do you keep ahead of the trends? How do you learn about the things that you, you train and the things that you talk about? Well, I, I read the Cherry Leaf blog, of course. <laughs> but... Um, I mean, other than that, you just sort of keep your ear to the ground. You take as many opportunities as you can to hear things from different sources. So, so I, yeah, I do, I do read blogs. I go to quite a lot of conferences. Much of what you see at conferences is not new, but that there are the occasional nuggets. And also, you you actually pick up stuff from just from talking informally with people in breaks. So, I I literally just try and talk to as many well. I try and listen to as many people as possible and keep an open mind. And uh, and I suppose you sort of develop an instinct after 
25 years or so in the business, you sort of start to, you recognize when something is kind of new and exciting. And if I hear that, I will try and latch onto it. And, and as you say, just try and be a page ahead of everyone else by, by reading up about it, by trying to teach myself. Uh, an example of that, I suppose, was, was CSS Flexbox, which, you know, I think I was just idly reading some, some sort of blogs or comments. I've been following, following, uh, reading some information about CSS, and I suddenly saw this CSS designer sort of saying, just mentioning almost in passing, what a game changer Flexbox was. And I thought, oh, I don't, it sounds interesting. I, I like the name Flex, flexible CSS. You know, that's kind of what we need. And I looked into it and I, and I found that, that there was very little knowledge in our community about it, but it was just beginning to take hold, you know, in web design in general. And so I, I researched it, found it was relatively easy for me to learn. And that became something that I could then talk about and was new to people. So it is just a matter of just having an instinct, what is new and what's going to be useful within tech comms. Yeah, so I think uh, conferences are interesting. Some people feel they need to know, prepare and be ready for every potential question that somebody might throw at them. But the other way to do it mm. is that if you're interested in a subject, put yourself forward as a speaker on that subject, maybe even at just the, at a primary level, and then you have a deadline and a motivation to go away and actually learn more about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. Plus, I think you're often a much better communicator about that subject, because when you've had to learn it yourself, um, you when you present, you're you're, you're not going to take things for granted. You, you're in a position to say, yeah, I found this hard. Uh, you probably will too. Here's how I overcome it. This is this concept that it was meant nothing to me when I started, but here's, here's what it now means. So I think as someone who has recently learned, you're in a very good position to teach. Um, and yeah, that's, that's often been my approach. And it's that classic uh, rhetoric right. thing of, of what is this thing? Why do I need to know about it? Um, right. How, yes. Uh, yes. when might I use it? How might I use it? And just those basic exactly. Exactly. questions can can be very useful for for other people. Getting the rough shape of the thing rather than focusing mm. in on on very narrow yeah. areas. Yeah, yeah. Giving the rough shape and, and and putting it into into context, I think, is 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 our jobs again as as technical authors. I think we've got the rough shape of things. Oh, there's a good ending, isn't it? Wrapping it all up. Ah, there's a good mm. rough shape of things in terms of the tools that are out there and the directions that they're going. It's always good to chat to you. So, uh, And with you. And uh, yeah, thank, thank you very much for, for asking me to, to do this. Okay, we'll wrap it up at that point.